Today's episode is brought to you by Studio Art Quilt Associates. Celebrating its 30th anniversary this year, Studio Art Quilt Associates is an international nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting the art quilt and the artists who create them. Sakwa offers a wide range of exclusive resources and professional opportunities for its members, including access to a museum-quality exhibition program that travels artwork around the world. Check it out at sakwa.com. Thank you so much, Sakwa. And now, here's the show. episode 137 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about becoming a fabric designer with my guest, Katerina Rochella. Katerina was born in 1975 in Belgrade, Serbia, where she lives with her husband and three kids that are true inspiration for her work. In 1998, she graduated from the Faculty of Applied Arts at the Department of Graphic Arts, and in 2003, got a master's degree. She started on her PhD thesis in Applied Arts and Design in 2014. Nina works as a licensed artist for Art Gallery Fabrics and has created 14 fabric collections for them. And we're going to talk about how that came to be. So Nina Rochella, welcome. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much, Abby, for inviting me to be part of your show. I really enjoy listening to it. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. And you are my first guest who is talking to me from Serbia. So this is pretty exciting. Oh, it is. <laughs> so yeah. I, so I, had, here. I, I had a guest once from uh, South Africa, but um, this it's cool oh. to talk to people all over the world. So yeah. It's incredible yeah. that, you know, modern technology allows you to do, to travel the world in seconds, like even from, you know, being in your own chair and in your own space at home. Yeah, totally. It's great. So, um, so we'll talk a little bit about that. You were born and raised in Belgrade and your family, when you were growing up, it sounds like they were pretty creative people themselves and both of your parents were artists. Is that right? Yes, that is completely right. I was raised uh, in an artistic family. Actually, my father, she's a painter. My mother, she's a ceramic, uh, she's a pottery artist. And also I have uh, a young sister. I mean, she's just three years uh, younger than me, but she's very um, uh, professional, let's say production designer. And uh, actually growing in such an environment where, you know, uh, everybody would create daily, it's absolutely... Um, uh, inspired, let's say, uh, my 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 uh, profession and also my professional inspiration and and my life. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. So, what kinds of things were you know going on in your household with a father who was a painter and a mother who was a ceramic artist? What kinds of things yeah. do you remember making specifically? You know, when you were a kid. Yes, actually, it was like living in a studio because. Uh, my father, he had like a room in the in the apartment where we were living that he would uh, be painting there. And my mother, she also had a pottery studio just, uh, let's say, in the basement. So it was just, you know, our stairways away from, from our home. And she would go, you know, like sometimes even she would come to, to cook lunch to us, for us, and then she would go back and, you know, do the, the, the work there. So it was and then she would just bring some pottery stuff and, you know, ceramics that she would be doing there. So we were actually, you know, just surrounded with everything. And our table that was like the kitchen or dining table, it was used for all these kinds of creation and creative outputs that, you know, my parents, they had. So eventually my father, he was also doing some kind of posters or calligraphy things. And my sister and I, we would sit and trying to imitate him you know, doing these all kinds of things. And we would also be, you know, drawing and painting like on a regular basis because, you know, the tools like pencils and, and paintings would, would be spread all over the place. So it was really great, you know, um, uh, being in such a um, positive and trusty environment. 
Yeah, sounds like it. Just it was just a natural part of your day to day. It was. <laughs> yeah. And so did you want to be an artist too? I mean, I think some kids in that environment would see themselves following that same path. And some kids would say, well, this is not what I want to do. I want to do something completely different. Yeah, they they were trying to um, like talk us out of being artists because they would say like, this is something that is not so like, you know, well paid or eventually it's not such a nice work in sense of, because my mother, she would be working with the, with clay and uh, her hands would be, you know, dirty and, you know, with my father, the smells of the turpentine and, you know, oil paints and everything that was not so like nice and clean. So they would be, you know, talking us to, to go study eventually, you know, medicine or something, you know, that is completely different. But I think that they were just joking because I think that eventually when you're an artist, you would want your kid eventually even to, uh, to go and uh, the, and to be a uh, artist as well because it's something that you know the creativity I think it's very positive thing to to change to try to explore you know to do this kind of thing so uh, I knew since you know very very small and early age that I really wanted to be you know creative and to be an artist and I remember that I really enjoyed um, drawing some uh, girlish outfits like you know drawing just the girls and then the outfits that the girl would uh would wear you know so i was dreaming about be, being eventually the costume designer at that time at early age mm-hmm. then and uh, after after finishing the elementary school so i was uh, the age of 13 i started to attend the high school and the high school was for design because i didn't want to go to any kind of um um gymnasium or something like that because i knew straight ahead that i wanted to do a designer to design something so i was studying the packaging design at a high school okay. and I, I think that it was my first encounter with the surface design actually because we were doing you know emballage and you know packaging design for many kind of products so that's that's interesting. Uh, yeah, that's a neat exposure yeah. <laughs> to get pretty young. And even with drawing the girls and drawing the dresses on the girls, that is also a kind exactly. of surface design and textiles and interest in fashion and textiles, you know, so that sort of spark of that was was even there when you were pretty young, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Then eventually in high school, I realized it doing something that is uh, maybe more like, you know, graphic design to do something that uh, after a few years, I can eventually, you know, even apply in some other fields of design because I wasn't quite sure at that age that, you know, being or graphic designer or textile or, I don't know, costume designer is just only that that I want to achieve and be, and be you know. So I wanted to, to try different kind of mediums, different kind of techniques and stuff. So... Now, after I, I actually didn't finish the high school immediately because after there are four years of high uh, education here in Serbia, and after third year, I uh, there is something that is called like pre-exam before um, entering to the university. So I did some exams in a way to pass that fourth year of uh, studying high school so that I can enter university earlier. And oh. I actually, I was so lucky to pass these exams and I was, um, uh, I was attending the um, university at the age of 17. So it was like one year earlier. Then during that first year of university, I eventually even uh, did the exams from the high school. So I have even that uh, grade of studies. Got so, it. Yeah, because at that age, I started to do some more calligraphy things. And I was very interested in lettering and calligraphy. So I thought that maybe if uh, attending the uh, graphic design, because there was also calligraphy and lettering um, subject and material within that department. So that's why actually I, I wanted and applied for that department. So uh, after a few years, I um, after having also some other subjects and, uh, you know, matters and everything during university, I eventually uh, realized that doing 
you know, graphic design and also printing was one of the main subjects in my, let's say, first love also during this year. So I really fall in love in the process of printing and doing Linocut. Uh, at those those years of studying, I remember that it was a very bad situation here in our country because of the war that we had. So we were very also limited in our, um, uh, let's say, materials that we could use for, for printing and for doing graphics. So a linocut and a linoleum was something that was, let's say, cheapest. So that's, that's why many of us actually took this medium for, you know, researches and, you know, studies, projects and stuff. But I really felt, felt in love with that because um, I realized that I could do uh, linocut in uh, colors. So by doing, you know, uh, three or four colors for linocut, I actually tried to, um, uh, to, to, uh, to make the, the printing process being more close to the painting, you know, with oils or anything else. And I really enjoyed doing that. Right. And so it's almost like the the political unrest that was going on in Serbia while you were in college yeah. and really limited the access to the materials that were available, made it so that linoleum, it's linoleum, right? That you're cutting yes, when you're exactly. making a linocut, cut, right? Yes, so that, yes. that was a, a material that was available. And so you had that limitation, but for you, it almost sparked like more creativity because you applied, you know, layer, different layers of colors and almost kind of created the effect of a painting. Yes. But I think that this, limitations that we had we had to like figure how to use different kind of materials and and tools in order to achieve something else you know something that is not let's say normal with linocut so we weren't using just the tools that were like some kind of the knife you know for cutting and for making some kind of of incisions on the materials but we were using also some kind of the glues or some kind of uh, coatings and stuff that we could used to obtain some kind of the textures uh, other than the texture that only the knives would provide. So I think it was very interesting how sometimes when you, let's say, when you're limited with something and you don't have access to everything, you actually are trying to give yourself and to maybe be more creative, you know, to, to do things that you would never actually do in the normal situation. Yeah, not that we would wish that on somebody, yeah, but at the I same know. time, <laughs> right, but at the same time, if you have to, if you have to live through it, yeah. in that way, there was almost like a rainbow um, that came to you as part of it. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so after graduation, um, you worked, you were working, right? Um, and what kind of work did you did you do after graduation for those years? Uh, after I finished the faculty, I think? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. After I finished the faculty and after my master's, right. I started immediately working on the faculty as assistant to professor. And I was uh, assistant uh, to the uh, drawing and painting. And also for the subject that is literally translated called nude. You know, there is like a model that is almost every time, you know, with no clothes. And the students would have like either two hours to, to draw the figure or um, there was like a croquis. It's like, I don't know if croquis means something is in English, maybe more in French, but it's like a very quick study that would uh, be done in like two, three, even less minutes. So your, your let's say your, your task in these uh, small minutes would be to, to get, you know, the rhythm of the figure or something that would, you know, um, uh, get your attention when looking at the model, you know, that was posing. So that was, that was what I was doing. So I was, you know, teaching assistant and doing these creative things with the student, helping the professor, you know, to have classes. And that lasted for almost 10 years. I was, that was the faculty actually, it was not in Belgrade where I live. It was in the city of Tragoje. It's, it's uh, like one hour and a half drive. Uh, and it's very nice faculty. That was uh, for the uh, applied arts and also uh, languages. Okay. I really, I was really fortunate to to be working there and you know to have this kind of interaction with students and 
I really loved working then there. <laughs> and uh, also, uh, I was doing, you know, many free freelance design jobs. Like, you know, as I said, calligraphy was one of them. And I had many let's say, institutions that would, you know, take me to, to draw or to, uh, uh, to, to do the lettering for them, like diplomas for certain events and stuff like that. And also, um, I was, yeah, then uh, in 2006, I also had my own, um, let's say, kids uh, level, <laughs> of course. Yeah, let's talk about that. So, okay, so first, though, you met your husband, right? This, you, you got, did oh, yeah, you get, you got married before part. this, right? Um, so where, do, your husband's Italian. Um, so where did you meet him? Did you meet him while you were teaching? Uh, no, that that came after. I met him when I was on the third year of the university studying, and we actually met in Italy, in uh, Bari, which is the city where he lived. Uh, we met uh, through a friend that, you know, I just came there and I met some friends in Greece where I was, you know, on vacation. They invited me to come to visit them. So one uh, uh, one of them was friend with my husband. So that's that's how we met. <laughs> okay. So you got you got married and you had children. And it was was it through becoming a mom that you started sewing? Yes, exactly. Uh, so uh, I married. It was in ninety ninety nine, and. Uh, um, uh, in, in those, uh, I didn't finish yet. Uh, uh, no, in ninety, yes, sorry, in ninety-eight, I finished the academy, but then I took the masters, which was like uh, usually three or four years more of studying. And then uh, in two thousand and one, I got my first daughter. And after getting my first daughter, and you know, staying more at home with you know a need to create, I discovered the field of uh, textile designs and let's say fabrics before everything, because it was something, you know, staying at home and being crafty with, you know, a need to create. The fabrics were very affordable. I mean, not affordable, like in money speaking, but affordable in the sense of you don't need to have a special place to create or to go outside of your home to, like I was doing, because I was, I had a printing studio that was situated uh, in the same, let's say, basement where my mother was doing her pottery work. So it was outside of my home where I was living with my husband. So instead of going outside, because my my uh, my kid was very small and I really wanted to, to be staying at home with her. So I had to find an, a creative outlet and, you know, doing the things with fabrics was actually first. Yeah, and, you know, and that's actually a great point And maybe something that people don't quite talk about that much, which is that sewing, because it is a, something you do domestically, and a sewing machine is a domestic, you know, exactly. home appliance, like a blender or something else that you yeah, yeah. have <laughs> in your home that most people have in a home. Um, but it's something that you can make art with. Um, and so it is it unlike needing a kiln, you know, for pottery or needing a printing studio or needing good ventilation or, you know, there's so many things needing a weaving loom. I mean, there's so many things that creating yeah. art um, of those sorts means that you have to leave the house for with a sewing machine. You're you can stay in that domestic sphere and still create something really beautiful. And so in that way, um, it, it's a natural sort of something you can turn to exactly yeah you're right and by that time I didn't have uh, like my my own sewing machine so as my mother she there was a period of her life that she was trying also to 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 sew and to do something on the sewing machine so uh, I uh, repaired a sewing machine I bought some border magazines that were the only one available in my country at that time. I mean, now it, the situation is not much better, let's say, because we have Burda and then we have some Italian uh, magazines and we have the, the Dutch, I think, Ottobre occasionally. But uh, at that time, you know, Burda was the only thing available. So I bought them and I tried to figure by myself, you know, how to do something and how to sew. And as I had a little daughter, 
I wanted to do, you know, some kind of the twirly, you know, skirts for her. Because also at that period, there weren't many, um, many, let, let's say, uh, big shops uh, like, you know, H&M and Zara and these kind of shops. We, we didn't have them here in Belgrade because the situation was by that time still, you know, not so, let's say, well. So I had to find something, you know, and to, to be able to, to make her some twirly skirts and, you know, uh, fashionable clothes and, and stuff like that. So step by step, you know, I tried, you know, to, to sew by myself, uh, uh, trying some more, you know, techniques and stuff. And I realized that it's not something that is, you know, so hard to do, especially if you say, you, I mean, when you have good, good machine, because the first one that I was using for my mother, it was okay, but it wasn't like, you know, very, very well. So then I bought my first sewing machine. It was like in 2005, let's say. And then, you know, I felt so much relieved because with that, it was, it was a very basic one as well. It wasn't something fancy or anything, but I could do like zigzag, you know, yeah. and for me it was wow, <laughs> you know. I want to take a minute now and talk with our sponsor, Sakwa and a member of the Sakwa communications team, Maria Shell. My name is Maria Shell, and I am a member of the communications team for the Studio Art Quilt Associates, uh, also known as Sakwa. And what is Sakwa? Well, Sakwa is, well, we're 30. That's big news. Uh, we're 30 years old this year, and we are really the organization in the world that's dedicated to promoting the art quilt and um, really all aspects connected to the art quilt, whether it's the artists, the collectors, the galleries, museums, we're all about the art quilt. Our membership is always right around 3,400 and 20% of our members are outside the United States. So we have members in 36 other countries all around the world. And we have two publications that come out, Sakwa journal which is for our members and then we have art quilt quarterly it's a really beautiful magazine that shares the art of our members in particular the juried artist members and that publication goes out to museums and galleries and collectors and curators and um, we have educational programming we have sakwa webinars so those are for our members we do special events educational events throughout the year that are that take place over a series of weeks that are about design and art concepts. We have regional activities and uh, regions are all sort of tailored. We have regional reps and they sort of tailor the programming to fit their region. We have uh, exhibitions that our members submit work to that travel the world. Usually an exhibition will debut somewhere major, like we have one debuting this month at the Texas Quilt Museum, and then it'll travel the world for two years. Anyone can join that's interested in the art quilt. And then we have juried artist members. So that membership is tailored towards professional artists. And then we also have affiliates, an affiliate program. So if you are, say, the Modern Quilt Guild is an affiliate member. And if people want to learn more about becoming a SACWA member or just kind of want to check it out, where can they go? Well, our online presence is SACWA, S-A-Q-A.com. And we're actually in the middle of getting a new website. So that's pretty exciting. Lots of information is available on the website. We also have a Facebook page, which Sakwa on Facebook, and then we have an Instagram profile. And we are at most major quilt festivals. So we'll have a booth at QuiltCon. We always have a booth at the International Quilt Festival in Houston and at many of the other ones. So you can look for us there too. And that way you could actually talk to someone in person about Sakwa. It is an organization that really supports its members in a, an assortment of ways. Thank you so much, Sakwa. And now back to my conversation with Nina. And then the, the year after that, that's that was when I really, you know, took, you know, some, some good skills and I, I was quite comfortable with, you know, trying more com complicated things. Then I actually bought a serger and then, you know, 
another world was open in front of me because, you know, surgery was really something else. And it's so, you know, easy. It's, it, it's, you know, it makes you so things so much easier and so much, you know, more, let's say, professional. And uh, I was really, you know, relieved and so happy when, when I purchased, you know, my first surgery. <laughs> yeah. And so um, you started this clothing brand, which we referred to earlier, like flowers and butterflies and a blog that went with it in 2006. So it sounds like pretty quickly after you got the new machine and got the surgery. Yeah. And I'm wondering, was the impetus to start a business with it? Because some people, you know, they're, they're going to sew for their daughter, um, but just because they want to, and they're not going to make it into a business. I'm wondering, was that because, you know, there, these sorts of clothes weren't necessarily available where you were in Belgrade and were your friends and family members saying, oh, we want some too. Can you make them for us? Or was there a local boutique that wanted to stock them? And that's not kind of, you know, in other words, was there demand and that's why you started a business or did you find the online sewing world and say, oh, wow, look, you know, people are doing this online. I can do this online. Or what was the reason to start it as a business? Yeah, okay. The first thing that <laughs> it was actually one after another because I I I started to um uh, to to buy so many fabrics online because in my country at that time also we couldn't have, you know, um we have some some not quilt shops, but let's say um fabric shops that you could go and, you know, buy fabrics. But uh, the selection of the prints wasn't something amazing. I mean, nothing like you can, you know, go in some U.S. shop and, and say, mm, I want cherries, let me see cherries in different kind of colorways and, you know, stuff. And it wasn't like that. So if I wanted something very nice and something that I would, you know, visualize in my head, I had to go online to shop. So uh, I that's how I discovered, you know, some U.S. shops and let's say Fat Quarter Shop was one of the first ones that I okay. began shopping. <laughs> That's fun. So, yeah. I started spending so much money on uh, on fabric because, <laughs> you know, I had to have them. And I, I actually uh, had to find something that I would, it would be creatively uh, spending money, you know. So, so I was looking for something that I can make this money, you know, return. And uh, as I was you know, sewing this clothes for my daughter and also some of the friends were like, oh my God, this is so cute. Can you maybe, you know, sew something um, for my daughter too and stuff like that. So I, tr I tried, you know, I wasn't very, uh, let's say, comfortable uh, sewing and selling things to others because when you have somebody that is friend to you and selling, it doesn't, you know, feel right. Because I was yeah. like, no, let's just give it away to you. It's like, it's nothing, you know, stuff like that. But I... I still had to earn some money in order to spend them, you know, on fabric. So <laughs> <laughs> it was like a circle. Uh, so actually I found online on, uh, on eBay, actually, there was like a sewing community at that time. There were like uh, boutique groups, actually. And I remember I, were, I was uh, in, a, in a few of them because they were like um, leveled, let's say. Uh, there were a few that um, that were with very, let's say, famous people, you know, fa famous uh, seamstresses and designers uh, within. So the more, um, uh, the more, let's say, not famous, but more, um, uh, more people would, you know, come and um, want to buy your your designs. Um, uh, those groups that were popular would maybe come and ask you to be part of these design groups. I so I remember uh, there was also there were also at that time a few designers that were um, also having their uh, their uh, their own fabric clients already. Like I remember Sandy Henderson was one of the first. Uh, so uh, I was also during because we were we were also some kind connected. I don't remember actually what was the um, what was the let's say our website or or the um, the program that we were using for you know chatting and and doing things like that. I think it was it wasn't photo shoot, but it was something. Maybe it was Flickr. Yeah, I was trying. It wasn't Flickr, and mm. actually I cannot remember what was okay. the one we were, we were using. But you know, you would talk and you would gather. We were having like a team lunches, you know, 
I remember, for instance, when Anna Maria Horner, she had her uh, second line. I was in the group that were participating in doing the launch for for the chocolate lollipop, you know, line coming out and stuff like that. So it was very interesting, you know, to meet uh, those other people. And many of them were, you know, from the U.S. There were some seamstresses from the um, Germany, but usually they were from U.S. And we were be gathering uh, together, you know, doing the uh, launches on a team. It would be either a fabric collection, you know, the, the collection that would be uh, new on the market, or it would be some, some other team like, you know, maybe holiday like Halloween or, I don't know, New Year or something like that. So it was very interesting, you know, to see some other designers, you know, the outfits for the, it was usually for the girls. There were just a few doing the, you know, outfits for the boys as well. But uh, doing the outfits for these special occasions for girls was really a huge thing. And I remember because it was like a bidding and auctions on eBay, there were a few outfits that would even uh, go for like thousands of dollars at that time. You know, it was like, wow, you know, spending yeah. some on an outfit, it was something, you know, crazy for me. <laughs> so actually, I started to, to do some outfits with a theme. Like I remember, you know, um, Alice in Wonderland or um, some, some crazy, um, uh, I don't know, or holidays or teens or something that would be, you know, not like everyday, you know, clothing. So it was very creative and it would be like a way uh, to, to come with something, you know, out of the box. And that's the way that, you know, even my sewing skills would becoming better and better. And, you know, meeting people and going toward those groups that were, let's say, popular was something that I was really proud of, you know. Yeah. Really. Yeah, it's <laughs> like eBay, these eBay groups were like your entree into the world of sewing and like yeah. developing your skills and um, networking and um, sort of getting introduced to what was out there and what was available and what was possible. Um, interesting. Exactly. Yeah, that's so interesting that it came through eBay, though, because um, yeah, that's because a pretty. That it was our... Yeah, sorry. It's an unusual. Um, no, it's just an unusual entry point, I think. Um, yes, but yes. yeah, but, but maybe at that time it wasn't that unusual. It was that Etsy. I think I. I don't remember. Maybe you you know the year that Etsy actually appeared. Maybe two thousand. It was. Um, it was two thousand and five in the summer. Five. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that time I didn't even know about that. It wasn't, you know, popular and you would never go to, you know, buy, uh, let's say, fabric on Etsy. You would always go on eBay, you know. On eBay, see. right. Yeah. yeah, right. So back then that was in the main e-commerce if you wanted to be able to sell something. Yeah, that does make sense. And so how were you um, introduced to Spoonflower, right? Because it seems like you started to design fabrics yourself um, for these dresses pretty soon yeah. after you started designing the dresses themselves. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually figured that it would be amazing to have, you know, an outfit uh, created with my own fabrics. And uh, uh, I discovered, I don't remember precisely how I discovered uh, Spoonflower. It was like recommendation from a friend or it was just something that appeared, you know, online. They so would go click. But I remember that once I discovered it, I was really amazed with all the opportunities, opportunities that it was offering, like, you know, selecting your own uh, cloud base, you know, for printing fabric. And also there was amazing community of designers uh, that were so friendly and supporting. And actually, we were uh, talking um, through Flickr. There was those flower groups. And yeah. it's really, really outstanding, you know, the way it was working. And also Spoonflower, they had some uh, themed contests. And mm -hmm. it would actually, you know, um, some kind, in a way, push you toward, you know, trying the themes or, you know, even sometimes, you know, selection of colors that you would never... Uh, you know, normally using. And that was actually, you know, mm, uh, a way to uh, also um, make my skills be more, um, you know, let's say professional and, and better regarding, you know, designing fabrics. Because the time the time that I started doing that on, on Full Flower, I really didn't, you know, much about that, you know, regarding the repeats and, you know, all the other things. It was 
in um, correlation with you know fabric design. Mm-hmm. Okay, but but by after a while, it sounds like you you must have had quite a portfolio on Spoonflower. Yes, yes, because you know those contests because. Each week there is another contest, and when you are trying to uh, give your vision on a team to do, you know, like an entry uh, for the contest, you would eventually try different kind of ways, or even the blenders or something, you know, that would be, you know, in combination with those main fabrics. So, you know, step by step, you know, week by week, and year after year, I actually achieved very good skills, and I had a very nice, you know, portfolio of uh, designs. So that that was, yeah, the time that I realized that maybe I could even, you know, submit this kind of portfolios and designs to some U.S. companies, because uh, here, locally, I didn't have an option to do that, because we... We didn't have any kind of, you know, industry and, uh, you know, company doing that. And that's how I tried and started to pitch uh, this portfolio online to to companies. And, of course, Argali Fabrics was my first choice. And uh, back to, I think it was uh, 2009 that I, you know, sent uh, that online portfolio. Actually, I created the link uh, from my own uh, uh, website. And, you know, I sent to them and I remember that, you know, the answer from them and also from some other companies that I, I after, you know, sent uh, the same link to, it was uh, usually no, or it was something like, thank you, you're so, you know, talented, your designs are so nice, but at the moment we are not, you know, thinking about taking another designer or we don't have a room for this kind of, you know, artists or something like that, you know, so... It was very, you know, encouraging at the beginning. And uh, after a few years, I uh, I realized that maybe, you know, doing the portfolio that is printed and not just sent online, because I was trying to think that maybe some companies wouldn't even have time, like, to click, you know, on a certain link and then go and browse through, like, 500 or even, you know, more designs. So I thought that maybe printing a portfolio and sending and Argali Fabrics was definitely my first choice, as I said. So I printed portfolio and sent to them. And so I think when you say when you say you printed the portfolio and sent it to them, mm-hmm. do you mean that you printed fabric swatches or do you mean that you printed it on paper? Okay, I printed some swatches through Spoonflower, and I remember that I sent to them maybe just a few of them, like maybe two or three, just, you know, like for comparison or something. And uh, I sent, it was a very nice A3 portfolio that was printed. It was like a book, uh, and it contained like, I think it was like maybe 30 or 40 designs with a team. And I remember my first collection that uh, I created, I named it Doily. And uh, I actually, it was a way to, to present to them this particular collection. So I didn't okay. spend like thousands or I don't know how many, you know, designs. I just print that one uh, collection that I was really thinking that it was like, you know, making a best presentation of how and what I do. Okay. And did you send it to more than one? I know art gallery was your first choice and obviously things worked out really well with them, but did you send it to more than one place because you had sent it to more than one place previously, or did you just send it to them? No, I just sent it to them because I was really hoping that, you know, they would take me because, you know, when I was looking even online to all those companies, somehow our gallery fabric was, you know, uh, different than the others in sense of, you know, presentation. And even uh, I like the thing that they had this kind of the organic touch and, you know, vision of the fabric and fabric company. And I thought that maybe would, that, that would be my best fit. And I was really, you know, hoping that they would take me. And I only printed that one portfolio. And then I was like, when I sent it, I I thought this is the last, you know, time that I'm going to do that because after that, you know, I I think that I'm just going to stop and, you know, I'm going to be, you know, continuing my life without that, um, you know, try. (laughs) And uh, I was so lucky that actually Pat liked uh, my portfolio and we began to talk uh, um, on Skype and that's 
that's how our conversation actually and our uh, uh, our life together started. I see. Yeah. And I mean, I think that the, the part of your story really speaks to the importance of persistence. You know, so you had first sent these yes. in 2009. <laughs> and, you know, at that time, nothing clicked. And yeah. you, you know, went back again, this was in 2014, right? When you went back again? Yes, it was it was in 2013 that actually uh, we started to talk and eventually okay. went to finalize the collection. But it was something about, you know, we didn't uh, do it in time. So uh, instead of uh, going out on uh, on the fall of 2013, my collection was um, uh, uh, went out, I think it was June in 2014. But it was since 2013 that I was actually, you know, I... Uh, I have, I was licensed designer and I have uh, the papers and agreements signed with them. So right. I was so happy and I was, I was feeling so lucky actually, because it was really a big, you know, dream come true. I was so, so, so happy. And I remember it was the first day of spring of 2013 that I got, you know, that BTS from, from Pat and I was, you know, uh, jumping from joy. <laughs> right. I just couldn't believe Yeah. Because after all those, you know, trials and yes, I was, I was, I mean, I'm still, I, I still am so stubborn, you know, when I think about something, I really had to do that, you know, and I was really hoping that after all those efforts and, you know, trials, I would eventually, you know, succeed in doing what I really wanted to do. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you weren't quilting at this time, because it sounds like there is not really a quilting tradition in Serbia, like there's not do I have this right that there's not really a word for quilt in exactly. Serbian? Exactly. Yeah, we are. We more have like words for something that would be more like blanket, you know, or, or something that you would cover yourself with. But the quilt is actually a word that it's not in our dictionary. And uh, when I when I submit my works, you know, for some exhibitions and, and shows, I I just don't translate it. I just you know leave or patchwork or quilt and you know. It's, it's something that, you know, don't have translation in my language. So, it's, Has it been hard then to talk about what you are doing with the people locally that you know, you know, parents of your kids, friends, and just, you know, people that you meet? Because, you know, at least... I find it hard. Let's put it this way. Yeah, I find it hard to talk about what I do. And at least here, everybody knows what a quilt is. Um, but yes, still, people think right. what I do is really odd. And so I imagine if people really didn't have any context at all, it would be just so difficult to explain the importance and the you know relevance of what it is that you're spending all your time on. Yes, it is because I think uh, in in their heads it's something that is more in relation with you know old people because when you say you know patchwork and quilting I think that many people here would imagine somebody you know sitting in the in the rocking chair you know with the glasses and you know gray hair and stuff like that you know doing something something as a craft or a hobby but not that somebody younger would eventually you know do something like that for like some art show or something like that. So, but on the other hand, because I was doing most uh, colleges I, I, or collage, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. I was doing the collage with uh, paper and uh, many parts of this collage uh, were even textiles. So for these people that were, you know, surrounding me doing the collages now with real fabric instead of, you know, paper, would be something that would be like, you know, natural as something that would, let's say, rise or come after, you know, paper colleges or collages. <laughs> okay. So you and those collages that you were making, were they part of the fabric design or were they something separate that you no, were doing? No, no, no. They were just, for instance, when I was also studying on the university doing the sketches for my printing. They would be also uh, all in a collage technique. I see. So that was the technique that I was really, you know, fond of. And it was like my best way of um, expressing myself through those pieces of paper, you know, finding the perfect composition and, you know, a touch of color and everything. So I think it really also helped, you know, understanding the technique of patchwork and, 
and quilt and quilting. And yes, also when I started doing, you know, this um, fabric design work, I ha I didn't have idea actually about, you know, what quilt and quilting is. I actually purchased uh, some quilt books and I was reading and I was really, you know, enjoying reading them. And I was trying to do some some patchwork and, you know, thing, things on my own. But I remember that uh, even after I had my collection, the indelible was out in 2014, and I had to present it on the uh, quilt market. I uh, I was uh, joining pieces of uh, fabrics, you know, doing the quilts on uh, my serger, uh -huh. <laughs> and I was for me that was like you know natural because serger is something that would you know um, um, uh, um, have you know so much uh, time um, saving you know, for, you know, piecing all by hand or by machine. So doing everything with surgery was natural for me. And then I remember that there were some people, some very new, uh, you know, friends that uh, uh, I met during the quilt market. And they were like, you know, laughing and saying, oh, the quilt police were come up to you. Nah. And they realized that you were, you know, you was. <laughs> That's true. The quilt police will get you if yeah. you, if they see the back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I felt so ashamed because I was thinking that I was doing something, you know, I, was, I never thought about, you know, all the little details that, you know, come and go into the process of making a quilt. And uh, because I was usually just, you know, looking at the final results, you know, the quilts that were, you know, finals. And I would visually, you know, trying to, uh, to see, I don't know, the combination of colors or shapes on, you know, composition and stuff like that, or using of texture without, you know, thinking about the technical details. And I remember that uh, uh, when I sat down to do my first quilt, I wanted to do something that is not like so easy. So I was uh, looking at the quilts that uh, were using a drunkard set and it mm -hmm. was you know, something that is round. And as I didn't have any template at home at all, I just used a normal, you know, plate, uh, the porcelain plate. And I was, you know, cutting the fabrics with the plate. And for me, it was, it was normal. <laughs> so my shapes were like very organic, but I still, I have this quilt. And I think, I feel when I look at it, I still think it's, you know, very unique and almost, you know, something that is like a piece of art, <laughs> you know. I know. Gosh, you know what? I... I hear you. I, I have I have pretty mixed feelings about the quilt police. I got to tell you, but um, I, I think in some ways it discourages people from just tracing their porcelain plates and going for it. And there's pretty much nothing wrong with that. So, um, you know, because it's pretty. That's kind of like the way to dive in and be creative. I mean, I get I get the other side of it. I don't know. I, I hear I hear both sides, but. Yeah. Um, I mean, okay. still, still you get, still you get something that you wanted to get, like the, the final result is there. It's just a different technique, you know, of, of seeing and doing things. Okay. So you came, as you said, to the United States to go to Quilt Market and present the collection. And that was your first trip to the U.S. So, um, you know, this opportunity to have your fabric manufactured by our gallery fabrics really um, led to so many interesting things. But one of them was the, to be able to travel here to the U.S. Um, so I'm wondering what that trip was like for you. And I mean, I know you've been back, you know, many yeah. times since, but that first trip, um, it must have been pretty exciting. And I'm just wondering, you know, what you remember about it, sort of what your impressions were and what was maybe the same or different from what you thought you would find when you got here? Yeah. Yeah. It was my first trip to us and I was, yeah, really, you know, so happy to be able to do that. And, uh, I, I traveled with my husband and actually because I never been, of course, in New York and the first quilt market was in Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh was relatively close to the New York. So we took like three or four days uh, of, you know, visiting New York before going to uh, to the uh, quilt market. And I remember that it was really amazing. First of all, because my husband and I, we never had like a honeymoon together because, you know, everything was, you know, happening so fast, one thing after another in our lives. So that, tra that travel to U.S. was something, you know, even for us. So, you know, awesome. 
And uh, yeah, I love New York. I really enjoyed, you know, uh, going and, you know, visiting, you know, places and galleries and, you know, everything. It was so huge and so different. And, you know, that, uh, that hugeness, if I can say it like that, is, it was something that was really impressed because there is no other cities. I mean, all U.S. cities are so huge and so, you know, the streets are wide. There is so much like air <laughs> from one corner to another, and it's so much different than from Europe. And I think it's more or less how I imagined. And I remember that I really love the people, and people are so friendly and open, especially our like quilt world and industry. You would, you know, go and talk to people for the first time, and you feel like you you know them for like forever. You would really make you know some friendships like immediately. And I really loved that. I really, I feel amazing. I really remember everything. And that first quilt market was actually the one that was most crowded from what I can remember, you know, because mm -hmm. after I went, you know, almost I think every year I went uh, for the spring show. And that one uh, in Pittsburgh was really, really crowded. It was so many people. I remember that I was standing and talking from, you know, from opening till the, mm -hmm. the close of the show. Yeah, it was it was exhausting. Even you know, speaking the the foreign language and yeah, you know, it's so tiring. Like, yeah, it is. But it was like something, something stunning that I really, really, you know, it was happening only then and only for that time. And it, I really felt amazing. And it, yeah, what a neat opportunity. That's that's just really cool. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. So. And I wondered if you learned anything about fabric design from that first collection, because I've talked to quite a few fabric designers and a lot of them have said, you know, I made my first collection and it came out and I marketed it, went to quilt market, et cetera. And after that one, I realized that when you design a collection, you need to do this, or when you market a collection, you need to do that. And so yeah. I started to do those things, but that first one I didn't know. And so I didn't do those things. And I'm wondering if you can share some of those learnings that, that you got. Yes. I mean, fortunately we have a uh, Pat that is our, you know, artistic designer. She's yeah. This is Pat artistic. Bravo. Who's yeah, uh, she's really amazing. I mean, she really, you know, lead us through the process or from, you know, starting the collection till, and after it's not, you know, if it's not perfect, it's not going to be out there. So I think that, you know, finalizing the collection with her, you would go and you would learn so much and so many things that after, you know, you feel like another person, let's say, because you're enriched with, you know, that knowledge about every single, you know, detail. And what I really, when I started the collection, when I started doing the, the fabric prints, uh, I realized, you know, during that process and even after when the collection was launched and selling, that the importance of the blenders is as much as the main prints. And uh, I remember that, but she would usually say, like, you cannot have, like, all the main prints. You, you have to know and you have to think about the blenders because they're as much as important as the, uh, as the main designs because of the quilting and the, you know, quilters because, you know, how they are going to use the prints in the blocks. And that's certainly the thing that I learned, that, you know, uh, the importance of the collection is to, uh, to to speak, let's say, to the quilters, but also that, you know, the people that are just, you know, garment makers and stuff, that they would also uh, be pleased with using some prints for them, for their creations. And what I also learned, and it was like really hard to, to get that, is the negative space is also so very important, you know. Not all designs can be, you know, dense and, you know, um, spread it in the same way. And what I also learned, I think that in the quilting world, less is always more, like in sense of, you know, uh, design and how, how design is... Uh, Spreaded, let's say, and how many colors are used. I don't know if, if it does make mm -hmm. any sense, but <laughs> yeah. you know, 
it was no, that, really like that uh, does make sense because people are going to be, you know, cutting this fabric up yes, sometimes quite awesome. small into little triangles, for example, and yes. um, that are sometimes, you know, two inches or, you know, or something like exactly. that and then sewing it back together. And so what you're saying is the negative space and sort of less is more as far as design and colors is an important thing to keep That's in mind. Yes. And that was a little bit, you know, for me, I couldn't get that because I was like, you know, the fabric and the, the print has to be pretty. And what is like, you know, uh, the print that is all in one color with just a few things of something like a spot, you know. But then when you start cutting fabrics, you know, and using them, you realize that it is very important to have a few of these, you know, spread it in the collection. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. That's I think that's really helpful advice for people, you know, because really, when you are a quilter, these fabrics are your paints almost. And so this yeah. is what you have to, to choose from. And exactly. you need Yeah, you need a variety of, of choices. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's really helpful. Um, I want to make sure we talk about your children, because I am fascinated with the fact that your kids are competitive ballroom dancers. And I would be remiss if we didn't talk about this because I have spent, I have to tell you, Nina, I've spent like way too much time on your Instagram watching your kids dance. You've got just like a few videos. It's not like overwhelming. It's like every like, you know, a few months or something like that, you'll post a video of one of their dance competitions that you've traveled to or something. And I mean, I showed them to my kids. So my kids are around the same age of your kids. And you and I are the same age. I was actually born in the same year you were born. And um, anyway, so my kids have also watched them. And uh, it's just, it's pretty incredible. So anyway, I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about that life of being a mom of um, ballroom dancing kids and whether that's sort of more common in Serbia or in Belgrade than it is here in the U.S. or not. It's unusual there and sort of what that life is like. Yeah, actually, if you if you enjoy my video, you should watch my husband videos because he has an Instagram account only for them. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. I, after, after we get off, I'm going to go follow him. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes, he's so supportive. I mean, I'm so happy to have him. And as he's Italian, actually, the ballroom dance is quite in, in his blood, let's say, because, you know, Italians and, you know, all those Latin types are more, I think, into ballroom dancing than actually being Serbia. In Serbia, no, ballroom dancing is not something that is so popular. It's, we're more into sports like football or basketball or tennis, you know, something that is very, you know, spread and common here. And I think also regarding the ballroom dancing, that the Russia is one of the countries that is absolutely, you know, the, the number one, and they are very popular. And I think it's the sport that is like the first in their country. And But we are so proud of our kids because they are, you know, so good. I think we enjoy, you know, watching them. And um, when they compete, we are, you know, it's a lot of work. It's also a lot of money because, you know, all the classes that they have and they have a lot of private classes and they really cost. It's something that, you know, on a month base, it's really so, so, so much. But after when you see them competing and you see them, how happy they are and how realized they feel, I think it's really, really worth, you know, all the money and all the time and all the stress, of course, uh, that you, you know, gain during those competitions and, you know, stuff. But it's and also you... very nice for them to have, you know, friends because they go to competitions and they, you know, merge with some people, with some kids of, the, of their age from other countries because they, yeah. they also, you yeah, know, travel for their uh, competitions also abroad and it's it's so rewarding, you know. From and the do you do you do some of the sewing for for your yeah. daughters, um, the, <laughs> yeah, the dresses? I'm so, I'm so proud that actually at the beginning I was feeling like it's something that is you know over my uh, my possibilities because of all the stress and all the sequins and all the you know uh, things that would be applied to all the the cloths and and fabrics. But after when I realized it it's just the glue or it's just the technique of doing things and applying. 
I actually become very good on sewing those costumes for them. I mean, not for my, for my, because I have two girls and one boy. For my boy, uh, I just did once uh, a shirt for, uh, no, just twice, yeah, twice I did a shirt for, for him. But for them, I usually sew all the outfits that they are, you know, using. And also to buy those kind of outfits, it's so much money. It's like $1,000 for an outfit. So actually by doing them by myself, uh, we are also like uh, earning you know, so much because we are not spending these, those yeah. money. Amazing. Yeah. And they're just beautiful. So I would recommend if people want to check out, of course, your fabric, but also kind of want to take a peek at what we're talking about just to go on your Instagram and and see it because all of it is remarkable, but they are also remarkable. So congratulations on all of those different things. And I also, I want to make sure we get to your list of recommendations and you have three cool recommendations. So you wanted to recommend a book that I have seen floating around for a long while now, and I have not actually checked it out myself. So this is um, the Splendid Sampler book two, though. This is the second book by Pat Sloan and Jane Davidson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm so. I mean, I'm so lucky that I can call both of them my friends because you know, each time when I go to US, I'm so lucky to spend a few, let's say, even minutes or or hours with them because they are so so incredible, and uh, they actually invited me to to be one of the designers uh, to do the blog for this uh, uh, second edition of the Splendid Sampler book, and I had a blog in it, and I'm so happy now because we have a group that I also encourage you to visit. It's on Facebook. And there are so many seamstresses and, you know, designers that they're sewing the blocks from the book and doing the very beautiful and big quilts from, from the blocks. And it's, I think, so amazing, you know, to participate and be part of this sewing along uh, occasions and uh, uh, happenings. And I'm really, really so proud of them to you know, to have a book like that and maybe being part of it. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. All right. That's neat. So for people to check it out, I didn't realize there was an accompanying Facebook group too. So that's cool. I like the community yeah. aspect of that. And then you wanted to um, recommend some paints that it sounds like you enjoy. I don't know how to say the name. Is it Holbein Drawing Inks? inks? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, actually, uh, I really love inks, you know, for painting, drawings, or everything, because I just like that watercolorish effect that you get when you blend the the drop of the ink in the you know in the water. So I recently acquired them, and I really, really, I was amazed with you know how the inks are so strong and and so good. So I can really you know warmly recommend them. Okay, cool. That's something good to experiment with. And then, yeah. of course, you enjoy Pinterest, which I think almost everybody does. Um, <laughs> but how are you using it? Yeah, because, uh, well, with each collection that we have, you know, each fabric collection, uh, we have to provide also the free quilt pattern, for instance. And then it's so nice to have, you know, inspiration, you know, gathered through Pinterest boards and, you know, to see uh, at one place, you know, how can you be, let's say, even inspired with some blocks and some techniques. I think that there is so much, you know, that you can uh, learn. But also, for instance, that you said uh, uh, regarding the ballroom dancing that my kids are doing, there are so many, you know, amazing also costumes and things that you can, you know, see. And also the techniques that you can learn, there are some of course, there's also YouTube or some other websites, but I like that on Pinterest, you can, you know, have everything on one place and in just one click, you can, you know, have a very good visualization of what's available. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I also find if you're planning a new project, like a free pattern to go with your fabric line or something like that, yeah. you know, you can create a secret board and just yeah. put all the different colors and ideas there and it doesn't need to be something that the public sees but it's really just literally like a pin a pin board for your inspiration and just kind of use it in the old-fashioned way having nothing to do with marketing your business or anything like that but just to do with gathering ideas yeah it's, it's good because it's online and you can just you know pin it and you know that you save it's very 
um, let's say visually good organized because in one click you can you know have everything that you pinned and you don't have to go because sometimes you know I just screenshot something with my phone and then I forget you know where where did I save it so sometimes it's a mess but on Pinterest I think it's very you know um, nice and very handy to have everything you know just with a few clicks. Absolutely. Well, Nina, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. And thank you for taking the time to talk with me and to be on the Walsh and Ops podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy and so grateful for this uh, invitation and for this show. And I cannot believe that one hour just flew away in like a second. <laughs> I know. And it goes by really fast. Yeah. So thank fast. you. And you've been listening to the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, walshynaps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing, blogging, and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. Today's episode was sponsored by Sakwa. If you want to see and hear more about art quilts, join Studio Art Quilt Associates a global community of over 3,500 artists, professionals, collectors, and art quilt enthusiasts. Visit www.sakwa.com join to find out more details about Sakwa's membership benefits. Use the code NAP to receive $10 off your first year membership. So check it out at sakwa.com join. Thank you so much, Sakwa. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.